everyone. As you all find your seats, we're just gonna begin. I'm Sunny, I'm a first year here at Goshen College. I major in American Sign Language Interpreting. And I'm Kara, I'm a sophomore, and I'm a film and theater major. I'm AB, I'm a senior, and I'm a business major. And we are this semester's BSU leaders. And to begin this convocation, I would like to welcome you to this convocation. Um, it is Black History Month, if you didn't know. And we wanted to start by listening to the Black National Anthem with you all today.
Good morning, everyone. My name is Alassane Berry, and I'd like to welcome you all to our annual Black Student Black History Month convocation. That's a mouthful. Uh, we have some things planned out for you guys today. First, we will start off with a poem recital from one of BSU's own, Mariah Toller. Her poem is called Illusion of Freedom. And according to Mariah, the, her poem is about how society portrays black people to having rights and freedom like all the other inhabitants of this great nation. But in reality, the world we live in proves otherwise and keeps people of color in chains. Please put your hands together for Mariah. Society tells us that we're free, tells us that racism is over and there's equal rights and opportunities for all. They tell us there are no more chains, no more signs, and no more injustice. Society spills out its words like a lullaby, soothing people to sleep. People heavy dreaming with eyes shut tight, taking in society's song. But I ask you, what world do you live in if you think what society says is true? I'll tell you what world I live in. I live in a world where police officers kill people that look like me, my brothers, my sisters, because to them our lives don't matter. I live in a world where I need to be cautious of my tone because God forbid my voice rises above a whisper and all of a sudden I'm a loud, angry, ghetto black woman. I live in a world where I can't have a bad day because anything I do will be credited back to my race. I live in a world where I have to work twice as hard, three times as hard, seven times as hard as any white person because my skin makes me less desirable than they are. But society says that these chains are gone, right? Well, if they're gone, why do I still feel the heavy metal weighing me down? cutting into my flesh like they did my ancestors, with my blood spilling on the floor. You want to change my name like you did theirs. If I apply for a job with all the right qualifications and references, and I look excellent on paper, but only if I had a different name, right? But here comes Stacy, with no prior experience to this or any other job, and who do you hire? You said the signs are gone, but you still wear them on your forehead, on your hearts, in your conversations, and in your mannerisms. Whites only, no colors allowed. You tell us that those things are in the past and that we shouldn't talk about race issues. Yet you laugh at our people in pain because there's no way you can relate to the oppressions you bestow upon us. And that's okay with you. You say that I'm free and that I have the same opportunities as you. Is that wishful thinking or your way of not dealing with the truth and enjoying the sweet music that keeps your eyes closed and you feeling comfortable? Well, maybe if you walk a mile in my shoes, you'll see that what you call freedom is actually a lifelong sentence of never-ending reality. Thank you.
Thank you for that wonderful poem, Mariah. I enjoyed it. And also thank you for being brave enough to come up here and recite it for us. So our main theme for this year's Black History Month Convocation is, is called the African Diaspora. The word diaspora has a lot of different explanations, but really basically refers back to the same notion. Basically, black people who do not live in Africa. They're, they're called the black diaspora. I am proud to be black. It fills me with great joy to look around this room today and see black people from all around the world. To me, Goshen College represents this diaspora pretty well, especially for being such a small institution. I was born, I was born in Sierra Leone, a small country in West Africa, but I grew up in Antwerp, Belgium, which I now call home. And we also have a lot of black students here on campus from all over the world. We have students from England, Trinidad and Tobago, Senegal, Congo, and many other countries. Today, we're, you're going to hear from three different speakers. Speakers who to us represent this diaspora pretty well and who all have their own stories about their own black identities. Our first speaker of the day is Mr. Carlos Laura. Uh, Mr. Laura is a Goshen College staff member who works at the Fist Plant as a trade technician. Please join me in welcoming Mr. Laura to the stage. Uh, when I got here to the church 
Uh, when I say here, I mean New York City. Of this day, uh, her name is Nancy. Uh, we're going to be this year 30 years married. We're going to celebrate our anniversary. Thank you. And Nancy and I uh, got married and we went all over the place. And I'm glad I met that beautiful lady, strong. Uh, I don't have words to express, you know, how good she's been to me. Going back to me, uh, you know, in this country, I have experienced different, different uh, things that I never experienced in my country. You know, I, I applied to a job and I had to put either black, Hispanics, or white. When I never thought about me as a black person, I only thought of Carlos as Carlos. You know, and, uh, and that was shocking to me. When I applied to go to the school and in, in the city, I was supposed to put what race I was. But I didn't think about that in my country. You know, my country is Dominican Republic. Very tremendous influence from Africa in, in, in the Dominican Republic. You could see it in our music, our food, and in our, in our daily living, the way we do things. Why? Because we were, we were tremendous, you know, uh, the first slave, slave from Africa came to our country, to Dominican. You know, and that influence stayed with us for, for years and years and years. And still today, we still, you know, uh, uh, have that influence in us. But we do not think about it because that's who we are. You know, in this country, I, I thank God that had given me the opportunity to pastor a church, me and my wife. Church uh, through Vine Tabernacle and Aircon. A very diverse church where we have set people from every from everywhere, any color. You know, it's not a, only a Hispanics uh, coming into my church. We have African American. We have people from Africa, Puerto Rican, Dominicans, uh, Hondurians. We have about nine nationality in my church right now, all speaking one language, and it's the language of love, the language of God. You know, seeking better way of living to please the Lord. I, uh, you know, I had experienced many different things. I, I had a business in Goshen. I had a dry cleaners. I cannot tell you all the bad things that I heard from people. There were people that did not want to check my hand because the color of my skin. But they brought their clothes for me to be dry clean and clean them. You know, I have people to me it's a little bit emotional to talk about this. I could think of many things that to talk. It's time for a simple traffic violations. And all of a sudden you have five 
square card with dogs around your car because because the color of your skin or your last name. That was very hard to me. I never experienced anything like that in New York City. You know, bigger city that traveled all over the place. I went into places that they didn't even ask me, but then I got to this area and there I'm experiencing all this thing that I never saw directly to me and to my face. I only read it in the papers and saw it in the news. We still have a lot of work to do. I love this place, I love Goshen, I love the area. I love the people I serve, the community I serve as a as pastor, you know, and I love to pray. You know, praying is the blood that runs through the Christian vein. And our church, that's what we emphasize in prayer. Because we cannot have victory without God in our life. You know, walking with my wife, my wife is Puerto Rican, she looks white, she's beautiful, you know. The first time we move out here, you know, we never experienced that. You know, since I was dating my wife, I always hold her hand, no, no matter where we go, no matter where we are. You know, 30 years and 30 years, I still hold her hands, because I love my wife. You know, we go everywhere, go to any restaurant, go. You know, but when, I, when I got to this area, we traveled to Fort Wayne and went into a restaurant, and, and all of a sudden we have people staring at us. Or walking into a mall and we're holding hands, and, and we have people staring at us, and we're looking at each other, why? She never saw that I was black. I never saw that she was white. I only saw a beautiful Christian woman as my wife. We're celebrating this day, you know, and this is my experience as a Afro-Latino, which I don't call myself that, I just call myself Carlos. You know, in New York City we have about uh, almost four millions of Dominican people, and, and I could tell you, Dominican, uh, if you travel to the Dominican Republic, you're going to see a lot of my color or less, or, or darker. The, the white population is less. My father was white. My grandmother, 93 years old, she, uh, no, 99 years old, she just passed away. A white woman, beautiful white woman, you know, my model, my role model. I could close my eyes and I still see how she was praying for me every day at 6 o'clock in the morning. And I could call her at any time of the day and ask my, my grandma pray for me and she was praying. Say Juan Carlos, because my name is Juan Carlos, not Carlos. Hey Juan Carlos, I pray, I pray for you and your family every day. She was a white lady. But I never saw her as a wife. I saw her as my grandma. What do I want to say this morning? You know, in heaven, it's not going to be one color. 
It's going to be every color, every nation in one language, worshiping and praising the Lord. If we cut ourselves, we all bleed the same. Like that beautiful song that, that we sing sometimes, red. So when you see me or you see anybody or a different color, don't look at their color. Don't judge them by their color. Try to see beyond that, how beautiful they are inside. I, I hope that this morning my, my little short speech could touch you and, and, and make you realize that we still have a lot of work to do in these nations. But I love these nations. You know, today's day, I, I think, as a personal uh, opinion and my philosophy, I think that America is like the land of milk and honey. It's a privilege for us to be born, some of you that are born in this, in this nation, uh, you know, it's a privilege. Because you, you could only go out of this country and you could see how bad things are and how much abundance we have in this country. So it's a privilege for me to be here. And I always thank God for that. Why am I here, God? Why did you choose me to be here? When there are uh, 10 million Dominicans over there trying to get to this country, that he chose for me to be here with a purpose. To bring the word of God forward, you know, to, uh, to do whatever he wants me to do. Think about that. Let's not take things for granted and let's uh, see people who they are. And in heaven, we all gonna be together, worshiping one voice. Amen. Thank you, Mr. Lohr, for that heartfelt speech. So now our second speaker of the morning is uh, one of BSU's own leader, um, Sunny. with my knowledge of my history. 
I find pride in my melanin because the value of it is priceless. Being at Goshen College has created a space for me to embrace myself. Knowing that I am one of the race, one of the people in a race that was ridiculed for being, for living in a city like Goshen, I take pride in my representation that I carry with me. I feel like I represent a piece of my culture. To me, it is important to step out of the stereotypes put on black people and to continue to walk with pride in every stride. As a black Goshen College student, I carry pride in my skin because I'm aware of the struggle it took for me to be here. I understand the position that my people were in before me, and I live in what my people are going through now. I am one of the melanated people at, that attend Goshen College and understands the power of their melanin. I would love for every person to understand that there was a price put on melanin and melanated people, and it was never high enough. We should strive to make every step we take as black students at Goshen College to have a destination and an aspiration. It would be amazing if everyone understood the value of themselves as who they are and who they are to be. We could come together and learn about one another to create our own peace. I feel Goshen College does this generally well. My daily goal is to stand on what I believe in at all times letting no one stand me up or sit me down without a valid reason. Making sure everyone understands I am more than just myself, but I am a part of a culture which should be represented with pride and love that started within me. With the news and events we see today, there is still work to be done. Self-awareness, self-love, and peace should be on everyone's bucket list. We should focus on the best parts of ourselves without hate, and admire the best part of each other. Melanin is the chemical process that makes me black. Melanin is the source of my pride. Melanin is the beauty I have inside that shines bright on the outside. The generations before me took honor in the black of their skin, the same honor that was passed down to me. I encourage you to find what makes you proud to be you and live in that peacefully. Thank you for sharing your experience with us, Sunny. And now for our last speaker of this morning, I'd like to welcome Jesse Lowe into the stage. Jesse is a recent Goshen College grad, and he was part of the Goshen's men's soccer team. And Jesse is now an academic counselor here at Goshen. Let us welcome Jesse to the stage. I never faced people yelling things out of their car window as I rode my bike around town. 
being harassed at school, being called racial slurs, or being called a nigger during sporting events while I was playing, because that all happened. Now, did this happen every day? No, of course not. But it happened enough that I knew that I was different, and as long as Goshen looked like it did then when I was growing up, that my life was going to have extra highs and lows just because of the color of my skin. I remember a specific time where I was riding, my, when I was riding the bus home from middle school. I was sitting in the back seat with two Latino uh, kids that I actually played soccer with. Just so happened that that day they put duct tape and gum in my afro that I, that, that I had at the time. Now some of you who knew me growing up or know me, I've always rocked a big head of hair. I love my afro and I love my curls. I didn't realize at that age, and I can't say for certain that it was because I was black, but this act made an impression on me. Like I said, I loved my hair, but the outcome was that the duct tape and gum was so deep in my hair that I had to cut it all off. So these events I named are pretty awful, and I hope the majority of you haven't gone through these types of things. But I think it's important to note and realize that, these, that things like this do occur. And when you live in a town like Goshen, and put yourself in my shoes say 10, 15, 18 years ago, it made me think if I was really safe from time to time. To loop everyone in of how I got to Goshen, I was born in Philadelphia to a white mother and a black father. My birth mom was 18 at the time, and my birth father was 19. The day after I was born, I was adopted into a wonderful but all-white family from here in Goshen. I think my mom and my sister are here somewhere. Right in the back, what's up? <laughs> I would love to talk about adoption with you all, but that's for another time. Um, but adoption does play a huge role in my black identity. So to continue about what it's like growing up here, I had good friends, this is the church I grew up in, I had a loving family, as I said, and all was fine. I did have a few years of uncertainty of why I was adopted, because I didn't understand the process. I had days as a child I can remember realizing that I looked different than other kids. But it was really when I went out in public, out of my comfort zone, where things started to change. In middle school, and especially in high school, I realized that I was weak. Unique in the sense that I wasn't from here, but I was a Goshen kid, and I was adopted not only to an all-white family, but an all-white Mennonite family, and I really didn't have much of a connection to a black community, persons, space, or anywhere where I could experience black culture other than the internet. There were times, you know, I'd run into black people or this and that from church adoption group, but mainly my sole experience was learning about people, about my people and how my people were treated were from PBS documentaries such as such as things on the civil rights, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., sports documentaries on icons like Willie Mays and Jackie Robinson, and my dad showing me clips and songs of real blues and real reggae. Now some of you who have been to Elkhart or South Bend might say, well, there's certainly black folk that live there, right? But me integrating into that setting, knowing no one and having no means of transportation, and to parents who to no fault of their own, didn't really know what I was missing out on, kind of kept that dream locked away. In middle school, I developed a sort of small anxiety everywhere I went. I was at an age where, of course, I didn't understand everything or how the world worked, but I knew some of the history, as I said previously, and I was aware that my size, my hair, my skin color was something that made certain people uncomfortable and even angry. This anxiety ran over and developed rapidly in high school especially. This is where I felt that anywhere I went, I had to either live up to black stereotypes or that I wasn't black enough because I wasn't living into those stereotypes. So what does that mean? Essentially, growing up with no black connections made me not know how to even be me. What was I? Was I white? Was I black? Was I mixed? I remember a few instances, especially that really messed with my head. The first, a girl called me mixed for the first time and I didn't exactly know how to respond. My whole life up until that point, I thought I was seen as a black male everywhere I went. Uh, who really knew or who cared if I was mixed? Now, some of my brothers and sisters out here, uh, when it's winter, we get a little lighter. 
I'm, I'm like that. So, fast forward, I was in a high school game, high school basketball game, and we had three black referees, which in itself was a rarity. One of them jokingly came up to me and said, boy, where are you from, Saudi Arabia? I just paused. I was like, wow, this black guy doesn't even know that I'm black. And finally, one of my first visits back to Philadelphia to meet my birth parents, I was out in the city getting some gear, and I walked into a sneaker shop, and the workers there were wondering if I was Dominican or Puerto Rican. These instances along with my everyday interactions made me feel like I was certainly not a part of any group, nor was I accepted into any group. I wasn't white enough to be with the white kids, and I wasn't black enough to be with the black kids. This played a detrimental part to my personal identity, and it's something that I still struggle with today. In college, I was hoping to connect with more individuals of a black background that were different than my own. I did have some success, but there were definitely still times where I felt left out, or that I was the oddball. I didn't exactly know certain things that I should have known if I was really black. So again, this played a big part in my identity and me not being sure where I even fit. Towards the end of college and nearing graduation, I realized that it was not something that I was just going to figure out like that. Rather, it was my own personal journey, if you will, just to accept me for who I am, and those who accepted me for what I was, was were the people that I should hold the closest. One of my best friends, luckily, often felt the same as I did. He was not adopted, um, but he was born into a mixed family. He had a black mother and a white father and black siblings. He was also significantly younger than his siblings, just like I was. We navigated towards each other, and I can honestly say that he was my rock, and I felt like I was his because we didn't have anywhere else to go. So I just miss him a lot. Um, sometimes we didn't talk about a specific incident. Rather, we could feel the vibe of a certain situation, or we could look at each other and know how the other one was feeling. He's someone that I still communicate with to this day because of that bond we formed from just feeling like oddballs and not having a space where we could let those feelings out. Now I want to get into what it's like being black in modern day America. In short, it's not ideal, and I can't speak for us all, but it's not as, it's not as bad as it once was in times past, right? I think it should be noted that, though, that just because my people aren't being lynched as they were for public display, that injustice is not being portrayed or shown still in different ways. For example, for example slavery to Jim Carrera laws, to the civil rights movement, to the drug epidemic, to the prison industrial complex, in the current state of policing in this country. Just to name a few, there's many more. I remember a family vacation a few years ago where my young adult life or outlook really took a turn in terms of me as a black man. There had been a number of shootings involving black males dying. Unfortunately, this wasn't necessarily new news, but the narrative around these stories and the circumstances were catching the eyes of us as Americans. I was in San Diego for this vacation, and one night I remember watching the news and seeing slash hearing about the Dallas shooter. Some of you may remember that story or may not, but basically there was a black guy who went around sniping people and inflicting death on Dallas citizens in misery, sadness, and anger for all of those of all colors around the country watching. I just sat there in awe. I didn't understand first why. What makes you do such a thing? Who cares what color you are? My second thought was, oh no, this looks so, so, so bad for the black community. In other words, I can't wait to hear about all the news articles, clips, Facebook posts, etc., about this, that, and the other involving black males. Why did this bother me so much? Because I knew how people perceived things. I related to 9-11. After 9-11, there was an outburst of discrimination, racism, and unlawfulness towards people of the Middle Eastern and Arabic descent. And to be quite frank, if you even looked like you remotely fit into those categories, then you would probably be targeted as well. I remember myself starting to tremble. I was getting scared and uneasy. My family, of course, acknowledged the tragedy, 
but didn't seem to pay too much attention because it wasn't near us, nor was it something that they probably wanted to focus on while on vacation. But all I could think about was that best friend of mine who I mentioned earlier. I started having these thoughts one by one. What if he got pulled over? What if we got pulled over together and the officer or officers who pulled us over happened to be angry? Or they happened to have seen the news and saw us and thought we were just as horrible as the shooter was just because we were black? I have curls in the beard, he's got dreads in the beard. We're just young black males. I got quiet. I started tearing up with a tear or two actually running down my cheek because I was so certain, I was so certain that this was going to happen based on the events at the time. This fear became something that stayed with me. This affected how I perceived and how I move in public spaces, how I drive, how I make decisions, and how I talk in settings where there are no black folk in sight. I wonder, is someone going to get irrationally scared and call the cops, whether they're good cops or bad cops, make an action that results in the injury of myself or those who look like me? It's something that I think, for those who are African-American in this space, can identify with, and certainly black males. I gotta say, it's really quite a horrible feeling. I've been fortunate to only been pulled over five times, and all five times, by chance, I've had a white companion in the front seat. One of my biggest fears is being pulled over by myself, being pulled over by myself in the country or in an area that's not heavily trafficked. And whether you agree with what is happening in our country in terms of police, police brutality or not, there have been, in my opinion, some really egregious traffic stops that have resulted in deaths. And to be clear, I'm not here to continue the debate about police, but rather to explain what it's like for me when the thought of police needing to be in a setting where we're that close to each other could be the last day that I'm on Earth. Some of you might think, what the heck, it's not that serious dude, you're overthinking it, right? But I think you need to hear that that is my reality. Lastly, in January of 2018, I was given the opportunity to work in retention here at GC only a few short weeks after I graduated. In this position, the woman I answered to, a great woman and an African-American by the name of Devon Kramer, mentioned me in those first few months along with a man who formerly held my current position at GC here as academic counselor by the name of Dr. Mitch Mitchell. He really made an impact on me and showed me the impact that I was having and could have on others. He was really the first African-American man who really wanted to hear about why I felt the way I did about my black identity, why I had so much anxiety, why I felt that I wasn't good enough, and he actually listened. He made it clear to me that this stuff all over, very relevant, it didn't matter. It was how I went from this uncomfortable spot and how I could impact this college and other people across the country. I remember him vividly saying, Jay, you're a handsome big black guy with a liberal arts bachelor's degree in social work, and you're adopted, and you're a raised white. Now tell me how many people have that same thing on their resume. I paused, chuckled, and was like, well, I mean, I doubt there's many, but I should love to meet them. Maybe I have a long lost twin or something like that. <laughs> Unfortunately, these two are not with us as members of our current GC family, but they have certainly left their mark on me, current faculty and staff, and students. There are not many of us here at GC. When I say us, I mean faculty of color, faculty and staff of color, but especially those who identify as African American or black. I don't want to phrase it as a challenge or critique, but I think as the GC student body changes and incorporates more students of color, that our faculty need to have some of the same representation. I'm not here to blame or identify the problems, but rather to encourage that if we want to keep the great students that I say, that I see here in front of me today, that we need those, we need those that they, the students, can confide in can identify with and can, be, and can be mentored by, just as I was. I would have been even more lost in college if it were not for the community of profs and faculty of color and not hoping to mold me into the young man that I am and show me the strengths that I possess. Part of the reason I wanted to work in my current position was because I would have the opportunity to teach, educate, and learn from students, but particularly those of color. 
As someone who wasn't exposed to a lot of different colors of people growing up, this is a way I thought I could give back, make an impact, and try to change some of the feelings that students of color have by helping them navigate such a setting as GC. I hear the frustrations from my brothers and sisters, and I feel awful. I feel awful because I, I know that if they were in a setting such as this for as long as I've been, then maybe, maybe it would just be a little bit different. I hope that those of you who are listening and maybe have ever felt out of place that you can feel like you can come introduce yourself to me and chat sometime. I'm not promising to solve all your problems, but I'm here for you all, whether it's related to race, feeling lost, or something as simple as just not wanting to go to class. Because some of my profs that I see here today, we've had that conversation, I didn't want to go to class, they can back me up. I hope that this little chunk of my outlook and my life as being a black male makes you think. And I hope that no matter what color you are, status, or your background gets in the way of soaking in all the different types of people that sit alongside you today. Because there's a lot to be learned and gained by just meeting the people where they're at. Thank you for allowing me to share. Black History Month 
from you? What's your takeaway? Um, I would like Goshen College, the Goshen College community, to take away as black students more pride that you already have, you know, to add to it, you know, to just know that your melanin is special and then they really were trying to put a price, there was a price for it at one point and for every other, everybody else, I'm sorry, for everybody else, um, just to be aware, you know, of what we go through daily and it's something that we still go through, so. I want people to understand that the contributions of black people have significantly impacted the course of the world, and we should not be treated like an afterthought. Black History Month is about showcasing accomplishments black people have made, but I want people to recognize it outside of just the month of February. We are an equally important part of the fabric of this nation, as much as anyone else, and among with learning to know our own and along with learning to know our own words, we should never have to prove it either. Black History Month is more than just looking back on past influential people. It's about using those roots to help guide us along this journey of fighting for equal rights, staying true to who we are, and becoming a community of people that grows with each other and not against. Um, I would like to say that just to remember that this is an ongoing struggle, that there is not, uh, like one of the speakers said, not everything is right in this society today. Just because it's not as bad as it was or as apparent as it was in the past, um, it doesn't mean that there are no issues. And I just want us as black students here or students of color to commune together and share a space where we can just relax, talk, and just be together. Hello. Hi. Um, I just wanted to say that we do have BSU meetings at 6 o'clock on Thursday in the ROT, in the conference room, and everybody is welcome. So if you feel like you have inspired, been inspired today or you want to come, and just see what's going on and hang out with us. Like, it's for everybody. So everyone is welcome, and please come and see us up. Yeah. <clears throat> Thank you again to our leaders. Let's give them a hand just for putting this together. Let's give another round of applause to each of our speakers, to Mr. Carlos. Now, we will close in a word of prayer. Won't you bow with me? Gracious God, we thank you for the occasion to stand and sit together, to mull over some things, to think about experiences that may be different from our own. We ask that you would continue to be a guiding light for each of us, that you would surround us, that you would put the community in the mindset of love, justice, care for one another. We ask that you would be with us, give us the tools needed, the words needed, the opportunities provided to make our community even more loving, intentional, 
and inclusive. We ask this, trusting and believing in the God who holds us near and dear. As we say together, amen. Amen. We're going to play a song, but you are welcome to leave as our song plays.